Welcome to Music City Horror. Um, this is episode 14. Uh, this episode, uh, a little bit different format. Um, we conducted an interview with a uh, producer from Los Angeles named Philip Andrew. Um, he's worked on everything from um, TV shows, uh, shorts, he's produced, he's actually acted in a couple things. Um, he was on an episode of Parkers and Rec. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of stuff. Um, with the horror community specifically, he, he actually got to work with Wes, Wes Craven. Um, so we kind of dive into that. So um, this episode just dives right into the interview with Philip, and um, we will have that right after the break. So thanks for joining us today. We have a special guest with us. Uh, we're doing a little interview with. Um, he's made his name primarily as a producer, but um, as we'll get into this, he's done a lot of things, including acting. Um, and he's had some, you know, had his feet in the uh, waters of horror. So um, we just uh, we we got acquainted. I think we. I don't even know how we started talking. I think you might email us or anyways. And we've just been chatting, so we finally got a chance to set up a time. So uh, we're happy. To I think have, I, I think I slid. I think I slid in the DM. Yeah, I think, yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's what the kids are saying. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, that's all I get. You're, you know? Yeah, you're up in all the cool kid lingo that's now, hot. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I slid in the DM. <laughs> But we have with us tonight producer uh, Philip Andrew. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. I uh, I, I really appreciate you letting me come on and, and and talk. I always love talking about horror, and it's such a it's such a fun. I think that the people that love horror, we're such an amazing uh, core group of fans. You know, I think it's it's amazing uh, just the the loyalty that people have for the genre. And uh, so, no, I'm really excited to kind of. To, to dive in, I, I'm, I'm struggling with my words because I'm so excited right now, guys. It's, I don't know how it's gonna, I don't know how it's gonna turn out. Well, well, piggybacking off of that statement, um, how did you? What was your reaction to the Oscars with the, you know, Get Out winning screenplay and Shape of Water, you know, best picture? You know what? So, so I actually, I took second place at my company. We did the picks. And I got 21, I was 21 of 24. Nice. And I came in nice. second place. But I, I, I lost, so I was pumped. I mean, don't, don't give me credit. I actually just went on to like Variety and Deadline and I went on the, and I saw what the, all their picks were and I just kind of piggybacked them. Uh, but I, I chose, I wanted to get out. I really wanted to get out to get, you know, the picture. And, um, I, you know, it just, I think it's so awesome to see, like that movie was so good. It was so entertaining. It had it had the elements you wanted. You want to be able to laugh. You want to be scared. You want to be confused. You want to know, like you wanted to be the twists. And I think coming out of a coming from a first time director with with Peel, you know, who obviously everyone just assumes is is a comedy guy. Um, I think it was just amazing. Like I think it's really fantastic to to see that movie and to see that it's done so well and and gotten the respect that it has. And uh, I love the movie. If, if it would have won Best Picture, I would have been the number one in the company, and I would have probably got a $50 iTunes gift card. Uh, but instead, <laughs> oh, I got so of, close. <laughs> oh, but instead, I got one of those little – they gave me a little a little trophy, like the little plastic <laughs> trophies, and, and I oh, got okay. a, a uh, three-and-a-half-foot uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pencil. 
And I don't know. I don't know how they chose the prize house. I don't know how that they chose the best prize. It was. Pretty, I was about to say, it good. seems like a good consolation prize. It was amazing. And oh, and cupcakes. Everybody. Was cupcakes. I mean, this prize is sounding better and better. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was. Um, we, we've talked about it in previous shows. How. Um, you know, people keep talking about the resurgence of horror and, you know, for, for like you were saying, the people that are, you know, diehards, it's, it's never gone away. You know what I mean? It's never, yeah, it's, it's been it, – it's, it's so important. I mean, and I can actually speak to – I can speak on both sides. Um, I, you know, I was a kid that grew up. And, and Chucky ruined my life. I hated that damn, you know, like I couldn't watch it. Yes. And I was, and I hated, you know, oh my God. Like, and I still don't really like it. Like if Chucky comes on the screen, it still freaks me out. And I don't know what it is. I still don't, I think I don't, you know, it, it just messes with me. Right. So Chucky, my parents all know, like you want to mess with me. They used to say that when I was acting up, they were like, we're going to get Chucky. It was terrible. But so, I mean, so I actually grew up, you know, I, I was terrified of clowns. Uh, I was terrified of it. Didn't like it. My sister's name is Carol Ann. So watching oh Poltergeist growing up was like my, <laughs> you know, my sister. And we still joke like about real it. Life. You know? Yeah. Oh, it was totally real life. So I was terrified that like, growing up and I never, I never really liked horror. I stayed away for a very, very long time. And then it really wasn't until, um, you know, I started, I, you know, I, I'm originally from Metro Detroit and then moved out to Los Angeles to work in entertainment. And, um, you know, you get out here and you start working in things. And, and I had the opportunity, um, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I had the opportunity to work with, um, you know, the master Wes Craven on a project that we were developing. And, and it was like, I remember we were doing the casting process and bringing it. it the, the, the idea behind the show was that we would bring in uh, horror film directors that were basically, you know, they, it was almost kind of like, I hate to call it this, but it was like Project Runway for horror film directors. It would be an opportunity for them to come in and kind of compete against each other, but they would work together, but still compete against each other to, to make these original scripts and in these short, short form, you know, content. And, and I remember going through the process of casting people and bringing in a lot of these directors and all, all from here in Los Angeles. And, you know, the question that we would ask everyone was, you know, so what is your favorite scary movie, right? And, and, you know, you get a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the old school ones, right? Like, you know, the originals, a lot of people have a lot of, uh, you know, love towards Jaws or they have love towards, you know, Carrie, uh, you know, none of the, the, you know, none of the living dead, like the, you know, some of these early ones that were such pioneer, pioneer, you know, films. But then for some of the people that were kind of more on the new school, I was amazed how often the conjuring was coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a few years ago. Interesting. But, yeah. So, uh, so many film directors were like, "The Conjuring, The Conjuring, The Conjuring, The Conjuring," and I'm like, "All right, like I gotta do. Like I'm a producer. I don't really. I'm not the biggest dude into the horror, but like, let me dive in and watch this movie." And I'm on. I mean, I can be on. That movie got me back into horror. And I mean, I, I'm sure there's certain fans that are like, "Ah, oh, you know, they might love it or they might hate it." But that film, getting back into it, I think it. I think it shifted my thinking of horror. From, you know, always like, ah, oh, the blood, the guts, or, oh, my God, I'm going to throw up watching Children of the Corn or whatever it is. <laughs> and then, but then to actually sit and watch that movie by myself and, and, and be so genuinely affected by it, you know, and like have, you know, just, I think I've, I've, I've built such a, 
appreciation for sound design and for mm. the sound of, and just like, you know, that feeling, that feeling you get when you're, you just feel it all over every inch of your skin and your head. It's just like, there's those moments where like, there's not a lot of genres you get to do that in, you know, that's like, so I've true. never, it's so you true. know, I'm not, I don't watch a romantic comedy and be like, Oh my God, my whole body is, is really, <laughs> my heart is pounding right now. I wonder yeah. if they're going to kiss at the end. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. So but have that, to have that in, in our genre is so, so powerful and, and so awesome. Yeah. 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 I think, um, I think horror is one of the, um, you know, I think the sound is is just as important as the visuals in, in horror. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, what, I, I didn't even tell you guys. I, I didn't get a chance to mention this when we were kind of first doing it. But this past weekend, uh, I went to a birthday party for a friend of mine, and I got the opportunity to do the IMAX uh, virtual reality game out here, Ooh. which is what? Uh, there's a there's a horror version, and you basically you are inside of a mansion as zombies are trying to kill you. And oh. <laughs> it was, and it, it was, it was nuts because like a week or a few days earlier, I had gone to like the, um, the mammoth film festival in, in one of the companies there. Uh, oh my, I forget the business card. What was their names? Uh, I want to say it was imagine VR. I think that's wrong. I feel bad now because they're nice guys, but <laughs> it was, um, they they I, they gave me an opportunity to do the three or the uh, the VR for the first time in a horror setting, and oh. so I put on the put on the you know the 3D glasses and I've got the headset on and I'm joking with them. I go, hey guys, I don't get scared, but I get startled really easy. Okay, so like if I scream, <laughs> like you guys just, just part of it. It's like super fair because I know it's gonna happen. And I'm I'm sitting in the seat and I'll try to paint the picture for you guys. I'm like, I'm like, I'm creepy with the fuck. Okay, and uh, <laughs> and, uh you know I'm, I'm sitting. I'm sitting there and you're in a corner and you can't and you're, you can't move, but you're just looking around and like all of a sudden you just feel it. You know, you start feeling that sound and it's crazy and you're hearing things going on. And then all of a sudden you look over in the corner and like Pennywise is creeping around the corner. And I'm like, oh, no. like, dude, this is and then, and then as soon as he's, you know, just being a jerk creeping around the corner, all of a sudden I, I start seeing I start seeing the other door start to open. And there's like this dark spot, yeah. and then all, it's like, and, and my heart is, my heart is just pounding. Like I know I'm in a room, <laughs> I know I'm in a room with like 20 people, and I'm safe. This video, I'm not even kidding. This video was only three minutes long. I almost quit three times. I was oh so God. not ready. Oh, wow. So not. Ready for it. And there was a moment. Yeah, he wasn't ready. <laughs> and there was legit. There was legitimately a moment where. I screamed. I screamed out loud. I, I got so scared, and I and I screamed, and then I and then I'm like still talking. I'm like, oh, it's it's not that bad, guys. I'm okay. And uh, then, so, <laughs> we're doing it for the, the next effect. <laughs> yeah. So then the next day, or so like the next week comes up, and I go to this thing, and I I go to this birthday party. I had no idea what it would be, and they had this, you know, this the go in this mansion with all of these zombies, and I'm, my first immediate thought is like, no way, dude. I couldn't handle three minutes. And like now you want me to go and But I'll tell you what, it was the coolest, it was the coolest experience to be in there with like three other guys and we're all, you know, we're all playing this virtual reality kind of shooter game, you know, trying to kill these zombies. And, and it's just where the capabilities of where the technology is allowing us to go is just, I think it's the, the next, wow. the next few years 
the experiences that we're going to be able to have, and especially in this genre, it's going to be, oh man, it's it's exciting. It's really, really exciting. Yeah, I was yeah. reading something about. I think they're, I think they're saying that the VR is going to be, like by twenty twenty, like a five or six billion dollar industry, and I mean it's just you know because I mean. Especially, like, if you look at, like, theme parks. Theme parks have already gone to, like, the 3D rides and roller coasters. I mean, it's so much easier to just, you know, put a, you know, cart down and have people sit down with glasses than it is to build an entire, you know, track and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think the seeds are there, but I think VR kind of ties it together. And every year it gets better and technology gets better and cheaper. And, um, yeah, I think it's just going to yeah. be, uh, it's going to just blow up. It's going to keep getting better. And I do, I just want to throw out that some love for this because they were Amaze, Amaze Studios. And it was the VR company that had the Pennywise thing. And it was terrible. They, oh they also had, they also had, and I probably shouldn't even bring it up, but they also did have a, uh, a, a stripper pole one. I'm not going to say whether or not I did it, <laughs> uh, but it, the option was available. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should fly out and do that, you guys. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That sounds amazing. I'd love to see how long each of us lasts on that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess we'll officially start. We've been kind of bouncing around, so that's (laughs) that's a good thing when when the conversation's just kind of flowing freely. Um, So you said you're from the Detroit area. So um, what we talked about before we started recording is you know you have quite a resume. You've been a producer, an assistant producer. You've done some acting. Um, So how did you get started? You know, if you had to tell somebody this is when it started, like how did you know? You can even start from just how did you get from Detroit to LA? No, definitely, man. And, um, you know, so for me, I, I think I always, you know, I always grew up loving entertainment. I always was that kid with the camcorder messing around, making stupid videos. And in and, and that, you know, that kept through junior high up until high school. And then I, when I went to uh, graduated high school in Metro Detroit, went off to Michigan State University, which has a really good film program for anyone in the Midwest that wants to get into it. And so I went to Michigan State and and studied TV and film and in media and was an awful student. I did well, but I was like, you know, total frat boy who all I wanted to do was party and get in, get into <laughs> havoc. And, um, so, you know, I, I always knew, I always knew I wanted to move to California and I had no idea how it was really going to happen, but I just kind of picked up and I moved and I, I made it work. Um, there's a long version of the story, but I won't get into it. Uh, but so basically, yeah, I mean, like I, I made the decision. I, it, for anyone, the number one piece of advice that I ever received in terms of when I wanted to move was I had a producer friend who I had gotten connected through through some people, and she said, you know what, Phil, pick a day, pick a day, and no matter what, you leave on that day. That's it. Like, make it real. And it was like, that was such a, and I just, it, it was the other day. It was like uh, February, I think I left Detroit like February 26th. And so I just passed over my nine-year anniversary of living here in, in Los Angeles. And, you know, I got here. I had no idea what I was really going to get into. And, um, you know, you kind of start doing anything. You know, I, I've been a DJ since I was 17. You want to talk about a, a lot of random things. but So I've been a DJ since I was 17. So I get out to California and I start, you know, I'm, I'm just going door-to-door at production companies, walking into production companies and saying, hey, uh, I want to work. I, you know, I'm just this kid. I don't know what I'm doing, but, hey, I'll, I'll work hard. And so I would do that and I'd go to these production companies and I ended up getting a job at a vitamin shop 
selling protein, you know, and then I get a job at, I got a job at PacSun, Pacific Sunwear, and, and then I'm doing extra work, you know, just because you kind of, you know, you fall into LA and, and you start getting into extra work and I'm DJing. And so I had this moment where I'm like freaking out because I'm like, here I am. I got my four year degree from Michigan State University. I get out to California and I'm selling old women Metamucil and I'm folding little kids' board <laughs> shorts. Like, what is going on with my life? Like, like, this isn't what it, really, this isn't what it was supposed to look like. And, um, and then I get out here, but it was, you know, so I actually, one of the first things I ever did was, uh, I was an extra on Parks and Recreation. So you can actually find me in the, in the pilot episode. It's like, uh, not that I know it specifically, but I think it's, you know, a minute and 23 seconds into the show. And <laughs> and, uh, and you'll see me for like half a second talking with Amy Poehler with a Speedo on, you know, as a lifeguard. And, um, you know, and that was my moment. I had arrived, right? I was, I was officially awesome, you know. And, uh, but I, I, you know, acting was never really the, that was never really the goal. Like I've always loved creating. Um, but I think those those early years of being in L.A., you're just excited. You're just excited to be around, you know, and I'm sure you guys can relate, you know, being being where you guys are at. And, and for me, being from, you know, being from the Midwest, being from Detroit and feeling so far away from Hollywood at times and, and where it was happening. And I remember growing up totally being so in just loving everything in that idea of California. Oh, California. Right. You know, like we grow up with that idea. And so I think it was once you once I got out here, I was like, I want to do everything. I want to DJ. I want to produce. I want to get into doing all these different things. And and so, yeah, when I, I you know, I ended up getting into. Oh, so the way I got my first job is crazy. So I'm doing all this work. I'm, you know, going door to door with all these production companies. I'm doing all these jobs. None of it's working. And I'm going to the gym and I'm going to play basketball every day. And like, that's my whole cycle. And I'm going and I'm going. It's right in the middle of the writer's strike, like back in 2009. And then all of a sudden I'm having a good game playing basketball. And I'm kind of making this dude mad that I'm playing against because I'm having a good game. And we start going back and forth, battling back and forth. And then we ended up talking after the game. He was a Midwest guy. He was getting ready to soon as he got promoted, he needed to find somebody to take his place. And <laughs> he brought me a job interview and we ended up, he, I got the job and I started working on a show called undercover boss on CBS. And, um, you know, he is now, I mean, still the guy is, he, he's a close friend of mine. We just finished working on a Netflix project together and, and it's just crazy. You know, like you never know how the thing, you know, how things are going to work out and all you can really do is just keep constantly putting yourself out there. Cause I always say, if it wouldn't have been him and if I wouldn't have met him playing basketball, I would have met somebody at the gym or I would have met somebody at one of those companies that I walked into. Or, you know, it's like when you want it bad enough, if you want to move somewhere bad enough, if you want to get a new job bad enough, whatever you want to do, there's a way that you can make it happen. If you want it bad enough, if you want it to be easy, then like stay home. But if you want it to be, if it's something that you're really passionate about, you know, you want, you can make it happen. And so like, that's kind of always been, been my thing. And then, so I started working in TV and then I came across, um, you know, I was doing like the extra stuff and just messing around kind of on some of the acting blogs. And I found out about uh, a casting call for a meathead douchebag. And for any of you guys that are, if you're listening and you want to see, you can catch me on all the social media stuff at, at Philip Andrew LA. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a link to it, but at Philip Andrew LA, uh, I'm not a meathead as much anymore, but I used to be, a, you know, I worked at vitamin stuff, vitamin shop. I was crushing protein <laughs> all the time. I was, nice. I was pretty big. And, um, so I go in for this, for this, uh, audition 
and for this young 19-year-old producer named James Cullen Brusek, who was doing this movie called My Pure Joy. And it was like his first movie, and he needed a guy to, to be the meathead kind of douchey guy. And, uh, you know, I guess I, I fit the bill. And, uh, or there was nobody else that came in, which, whichever it was. And, you know, I ended up, I, that was a movie that I did, and it was a horror film. And uh, I ended up, you know, becoming really good friends with James. And we did another movie or another short film called uh, Un- Untimely or Unmimely Demise, which was about a killer mime back from the dead. <laughs> and, uh, and once again, once again, I played a, uh, you know, a meathead douchebag. He, he, he had me typecast, James did. And, uh, <laughs> And but it was just it was a cool you know I think it's one of those when you want to be when you want to be in something and you want to be around it you don't really care what you're doing whether you're acting or whether you're holding lights or whether you're holding you know you're doing audio or you just want to you know you just want to be around people that are making stuff and that are passionate about things mm-hmm. and I think that was Absolutely. always that was always what like kept me connected and, and James has become a good friend I mean now I've you know, we just had his 26th birthday the other day and was out at his, you know, out for his birthday. And, you know, we were just, and we were talking about it. And I think that's the other thing in LA is like so many, you know, a lot of people don't even make it six months here. Yeah, so, totally. So to know somebody, to know someone for, you know, six years, seven years, I mean, that's like, you know, that's like the OG, like human friends, like it feels yeah. like, you know, I've known him for, and, um, and to just see like all the success that he's had, and, and if anyone doesn't, you know, not familiar with him, um, and I'm not name dropping, he's a good buddy, and and I, I actually mentioned to him I might do this, and I was gonna, you know, try to use his name to sound more cooler than I am. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, like I think it's just that thing. You get involved in this community, and you meet people that are just passionate about the genre, and that are passionate about making things, and it's not always about oh, how are we gonna sell it, and who's gonna see it, and what. It's just like. You know, let's make something cool that we're having a good time doing. And I think when you're around people that. like that, it's just so it's exciting. It's an, it, it's it really amps you up to see people that are just passion passionate to do something because they know they want to do it, not because of what it's you know what it's going to eventually lead to or you know where where's where this where's this one moment going to take my career yeah. or what is this going to and just be like no let's just have some you know hit record and see what happens. And, um, yeah. and that's what it was, you know, that was, you know, that was really what it was. Plus James was always, he was always writing nudity parts. So it was always crazy to be on set. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. I did a scene in, in my, my pure joy where it was, we were, it was, you know, post, it was like the post, uh, hookup scene. And we were tied to chairs and, um, and like, you know, luckily I, you know, I got my shorts on or I got, you know, my basketball shorts on and I got a, you know, a tank top. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm filling out the, the douchey attire. You know, I think I had like, <laughs> when, I think I had a gold chain. <laughs> then it was like so stereotypical. It was amazing. And, um, uh, but the, the girl across from me is completely naked, completely naked and covered, like covered in blood. And we, and we sat across from each other, tied to chairs for six hours. 
<laughs> you know? That's supposed to be like surreal. Like, what am I even, what is even my yeah. job right now? What am I doing? There's, in, there's these moments, and the craziest thing is there's these moments, like you legitimately, and I'm sure anyone that has worked in any career where people are you around a lot of new, you legitimately forget. Like, it is, it honestly becomes a thing where you're just like, oh, hey, what, you know, like, okay, what, well, you know, you get over it because the shock value is gone, whatever. Um, I shouldn't even tell this story, but I remember, I remember like, you know, you like pound it with somebody like you like, you know, when like you walk by and you're like, oh, what up, man? You put your fist out, you pound it, whatever. And, and so we're sitting far enough from each other, but close enough to where our feet can kind of touch. Right. And so like, we're joking around and I think they were like, we're like, you know, we had been in this basement for a while and we're, you know, cold and we're like, you know, we're, for, you know, it's cold. We're getting poured water on our heads and all types of stuff. It's like a torture kill scene. And, um, and, and I remember we're getting ready to, we're getting ready to like go for another take. And I'm like, Hey, are you ready? And I, I look over and I go, Hey, you ready? And she goes, yeah, I'm ready. I go, all right, let's do this. And I lift my foot up to like high five her with the foot. <laughs> <laughs> like you think but I like think it's like, uh, hey, we're connect. Like, let's do this. Like, I got your back. Like, let's. And she just looks at me like, yo, homie, I'm completely naked. <laughs> I'm, not, like, I'm not lifting my foot. I'm to not high fiving you. I'm not high fiving. I'm completely naked. And um, and it was just, and I, it was just, it was just so ridiculous. And like looking back on it, like, you know, I think I was, I don't know, 23. 22, 23, yeah, 23, 24 when we did that. And it's like, I remember my stepmom saw it when it came out and they were all excited to see this movie. Oh, <laughs> so, oh my God. It, you know, they, she, my, she's an amazing woman who's so sweet and caring and it is not her genre. <laughs> and it was like, you know, I'm sure they like sped through the movie to see my scene and then they just like, you know, my dad doesn't care. My dad's a retired police chief. He was like, oh, it was hilarious. It was a great time. Good stuff. Love it. Yeah, and, and, and then, you know, my stepmother's in the corner, like, shaking. Like, oh, my God, what happened? What? She's thinking, what happened oh, to my man. baby? Damn California <laughs> took my son. Good title. That's a good title for something. Yeah. It California is. stole my son. Yeah. It was, uh, you guys don't have you just make me feel bad because you could say it's bad. I hear it, I can hear it in your voices. <laughs> um, I just, uh, James was on Twitter and he did a little, uh, like an ask me anything. So I just asked him, I said, Hey, we're interviewing Philip Andrew. Do you have any dirt on him? So he hasn't replied yet, but, uh, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> him right now. So he's doing it right now. Um, he did it like 54 minutes ago, so I might have missed it when I, you know, but, um, yeah, but. Oh, no way. That's hilarious, man. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, I was hoping yeah, to you give a quick answer while you were talking about him, and then, oh, guess what James just said about you, so. <laughs> so funny. He's time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, he, yeah, he, he, he's a great dude. And um, happens. I just, and, and I will say, like, I feel like I've experienced that um, so much in the, in this world, in in the genre, is just people are so. Everyone wants to work together in, and and not in a way of like you know. There's other times in, in entertainment, uh, and and not to bash entertainment. Like there's a lot of amazing people that work in entertainment, and um, 
But, you know, there are other people that you can feel like, oh, they want to work with you if it's going to, like, boost their career. They want to, you know, they're, they're always looking at, like, where we're going, which obviously you got to be ambitious, and ambition is okay. But there's also something to be said about just working on projects that you're – because you want to be in the room with those people and want to be working on stuff with those people. And and I feel like I, I experience that so much more when I talk with people that are in horror and and, you know – thrillers and suspense in a way that they just really want to tell they just want to they all want to win together (laughs) it's like everyone wants to Mm. you know everyone wants to just be a part of the winning team and celebrate other people's successes and you know the questions are always funny like a girl uh at james's party the other day she she walks up and she goes she's super drunk she was so hammered (laughs) and she walks out she goes she looks like she's sour how many times? How many times has James killed you in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, okay. Uh, she's like, I just, I want him to, I want him to kill me. I want James to kill me in a movie. <laughs> I'm like, All right, like, I think you know, like, let's 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 pump the brakes a little bit, sweetheart. Let's make sure you get home first, okay? Yeah. Uh, just when it, the conversations you have, and it's always that. Like, oh, so how'd you die in your last? You know what? How'd you die in your last film? What's the worst? What's the worst you've ever been murdered? And you're like, only in horror. Only in horror do these it's conversations all normal happen. conversations. <laughs> so wonderful. <laughs> Um, so having experience in front of the camera and behind the camera, which do you prefer and why? Oh, good one. You know, I love uh, I love being behind the camera. Um, I am much better. I am much better at being me than I am at being anybody else. Uh, I, I have no illusions or disillusions about my acting abilities. They were not fantastic. They were not good. Uh, I'm good at being me. <laughs> And so I, you know, I really enjoy being behind the scenes and working with the crew and working with and making shows happen. And I've, you know, I've been very lucky to work on such a wide, weird range of shows, you know, everything from, from crime shows to, you know, I've worked on show, you know, like Total Divas on the E-Network with the WWE wrestlers um, to, you know, I've worked on like fitness shows with, um, you know, I, I stopped myself from name dropping because it's not cool. Um, and but it was like so I just worked on so many various various shows that I feel very lucky to have to have been on. And it's like that's how I look at it. Is like there's such a weird like there'd be no way that I would be able to have access to all of these different worlds in in other careers. And so I love the fact of of just being around people that are you know, passionate and enjoy telling stories and they just want to make people feel something. You know, I think that's so good is like the, the call to action of a film is like, what's your message? What are you really trying to, you know, whether it's a film or a TV show, you know, you have an outlet to be able to, you know, make people feel something or educate people or just entertain them. And I think to be behind the scenes and to see it all happen. And, you know, I think so much of the process, it's so overwhelming at every step, like you walk in into pre-production or if anyone's ever been, you know, a writer and you like, you start writing because you have a great idea and you're killing it. You got five pages and 10 pages and 15 pages and you're stoked. And then you realize like, oh man, I just put all this work in and I still have so much more work to do. And it's overwhelming. <laughs> it's so overwhelming. And so many people stop right there. They get, oh, you know, it's, I mean, there's so many people that have, you know, the first 25 pages of a script or an idea on a note card or something. And they don't, they don't follow through because they get overwhelmed. Right. It, 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 Mm -hmm. it feels so big, but I think, and that happens at every stage of the game. I've sat down in front of, you know, I'll sit down in front of the edit bay 
And I'm like, whoa, I've got 35 hours of footage Mm. and I don't even know where to begin on this. Like, what do I even (laughs) do? Like, you know, and you get overwhelmed and you immediately, you immediately feel like the kid who got, who was sleeping in class got called on and you don't know the answer and everyone's staring at you and you're like, ah, what do I do? do do Right now. Yeah. And, And I think that's what's amazing because then you, you fight you fight through the resistance and you end up on the other end and you go, wow, like we made this, like we, we, we completed this thing. Like, and people watched it and they enjoyed it and we had a great time doing it. And so I love, I mean, I love being behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I, I get enough of, you know, I speak, uh, you know, I do a lot of speaking and in coaching, you know, I help people get better on, on in front of the camera as well as I, I speak with high school kids and in colleges around, you know, around the country and, uh, you know, either as, you know, career development and leadership skills and, or just, you know, kind of motivational things. And so I get enough, I get enough of the, you know, I hate to call it ego cause that's not all acting is, but I get enough of the like, Oh, you're seeing my face, um, that I don't need it when I go to nine to five and I'm just trying to make a really cool project. Yeah. Unless someone is listening and you want to hire me, hey, whatever. I'm always down. I'm always down. I'm always down for whatever. Right. Um, I love that you mentioned like working through challenges. Which do you find more challenging, television, movies, or maybe even like coaching and motivating might also be challenging too. Sure. Um, I mean, I can I can honestly say as as much as I wish I could pawn myself off as an expert in scripted, I am by no means an expert in film or or scripted. Uh, primarily all of my, a lot of my background has always been in, uh, reality television and digital content and documentary series. So I can only kind of speak to that. Um, I think there's, you know, one thing that I will say and it, and it changes even inside of, even inside of scripted, right? Like when you're a writer, you know, if you're writing your, your screenplay, you know, you're by yourself, you are in a room you know, by yourself. Now, sure, there's other shows or, or things that you can get into where you're, you know, you've got a writing team, which I think is so important to, to have an accountability team that you can really work with and rely on when you're, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are going to be supportive of you is one of the best things you can ever do for yourself for, for your goals, for, for anything moving forward. But I think that that's what it is, is there's so, you know, at least in TV, there's a lot of times where like, you might be having a bad day, but hopefully 16 other people are not. So they can, you can get off of their energy. You can, you know, tell someone what's going on. You can, you can at least have some support where I think there's certain jobs inside of the, you know, if you're an editor, sometimes you're, it's a very, it can be, you're in an edit bay by yourself for a long time. If you're a writer, you're by yourself. So I think that's the one thing that I think is, is easier at times about TV is the accountability you know, is, is you know what your job is, you know what you're responsible for, and you, you don't want to let the team down. Whereas I think then on the other end, you get times where, you know, it, even from like the motivational thing, that's even sometimes harder because when I'm, when I'm coaching somebody, we are talking very much about them and their experience and what they're up to and what's happening in their life and how do they get better. And it's very it's very all about them and it's easy to kind of get uh, overwhelmed in that moment, right? Like you can be, 
almost obsessed with yourself. You know, like there's this time, there, there's a quote, there's a quote somebody has that's like all suffering is an obsession with yourself, you know? And it's like that idea that that's where we torture ourselves is when we're in our heads and all we focus on is us. So I think that that's one thing that, that is a, a difficulty when you're working on a project by yourself is, is finding, how do you, how do you light that fire? You know, how do you really motivate and how do you push through? And, and I think sometimes it is like, having people that you can hold yourself accountable to and and also being accountable to others i think that that's such a that's such a massive thing that's really helpful like setting real plans like your goals even you know that, that first thing of hey pick your day and you move on that day you know pick the day that you need your first rough draft done by you know pick a day and sit down and make sure that you're working, you know, and then have a plan. You know, you want your first script. All right. You've never written a script before, but you want to write a script and it might, it might take you six months and you got a hundred pages you want done in six months. Awesome. Start backtracking. So that means at month five with one month left, you need to almost be done. So with two months left, you need to be at 80 pages at, you know, and set, you set these benchmarks so that you have an accurate understanding of like, where am I at? Am I moving? Am I on pace? How do I keep doing You don't write a hundred pages in one night. And so I think it's sometimes we get like the goals that we have can start to seem so big and we get overwhelmed. But the truth is you just break it down to the simplest, simplest thing. And like, what is the next one step that I need to do to walk, work towards that? Um, I know I kind of like jumped off and took a Tony Robbins moment there <laughs> instead of just answering the question. Uh, I hope somebody appreciated it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great advice. <laughs> You're giving me life lessons right now. <laughs> and then I'm like, I need to go finish something. Or <laughs> I know. I'm setting goals as we speak. This week, I got to get work on my stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was awesome. When you, when you sent over your, um, I don't want to call it your resume, but your, you know, bibliography or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I <laughs> saw that you'd done some stuff on the Divas show. I was, I was, upset that uh, the other Kayla couldn't be here because me and her are both big wrestling fans and we're actually oh, we're, we're going to Wrestlemania next month and you know, oh yes yeah That's awesome and, and she's what's the, big, uh, what's the big what's the big fight for that one um unfortunately it's gonna be uh Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar okay and it's you know they did it in 2015 um and then Roman Reigns has been the headliner like three years in a row. So this is his fourth WrestleMania in a row. Dude, you, you, you sound so bummed. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, already, you know, like, already. We're going like, on this amazing know, trip. Yeah. Right? You're like, I'm so pumped for WrestleMania. You know, but he's, you know, yeah. damn. Right? Yeah. You're like, <laughs> so, I feel you though, man. I completely feel you. I have my, my dad back in Michigan. He, he watches, he watches religiously. And so he's always getting me caught up on, on what's happening. And, uh, you know, we always laugh cause I've, I've ended up working on a handful of wrestling projects, you know, and I, I worked on a show called broken skull ranch. Uh, and I, and I worked on a show. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with on Austin, that. I, Steve Austin, right? Yeah. And that was a really, really cool. That was a fun show. I ca- I helped also. cast that show. Um, and I, worked, I, I was a production assistant on, um, uh, what was the um, tough enough? Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, tough stuff. When it when it did, when they did it to reboot for I think it was for USA they did the reboot for, um, and I did that and then I did you know the Total Diva show and then I I worked on a I worked on the development project with uh, with Jeff Jarrett uh, a few oh, years ago uh, with uh, Global Global uh, Global Force Wrestling was mm-hmm. the new brand that he was trying to launch and um, 
and it's just funny because, you know, I grew up a wrestling. I mean, we, you know, I'm 32, grew up in, uh, you know, grew up in the, those 90s when, like, it was like the heyday. Like, it was amazing. When you had Stone Cold, oh, yeah. you know, he was fantastic. <laughs> you know, obviously, the you know, I still, I love The Rock, man. Like, The Rock uh, is my the rock is my one guy that like <laughs> if you were like phil you can hang out with anyone who would it like the rock no hands down hands down like i feel like the rock would make me and there's other there's actors yeah. that i'm like oh it'd be fun to kick it with like uh you know like matthew mcconaughey or someone someone like that but i feel like if i left i left if i hung out with the rock for a day i would have enough motivation for like a year like i feel like it's such an awesome <laughs> right awesome yeah. dude um and uh, him and arnold a friend, him on Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, but it was, yeah, I think it's just, we, we, we grew up in such a great time uh, mm-hmm. for wrestling. There were so many amazing, Absolutely. amazing wrestlers and, and, um, yeah, man, those were, it was fun, you know, it was so cool to, and, and it was, I felt like it was something where you went, you went to school the next day and talked about it with friends, mm-hmm. you know, like you went and every, I feel there was a moment like everyone on the, everyone that was playing football, every single person knew who won the match last night? You know, we were so into it. Uh, it was cool, man. It was a really fun time. Yeah, it was pretty weird. I went to my first, like, live show ever, like, two years ago. And, like, like my cousin actually wrestled in Memphis. He actually wrestled with Jeff Jarrett. Like, he was one of those Memphis guys, like him and Jerry Lawler and all that stuff. And um, so, I mean, I've been closely associated with it my whole life, but I've never really yeah. gone. And I won tickets off a radio station, which I never win. I have terrible luck. And um, I've, I was shocked. Um, about 10 years ago, the WWE moved into what they call the PG era. And mm-hmm. they're pretty much like Disney World now. I mean, you know, they have like cartoons with like the wrestlers with Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones and the Jetsons. And, you know, yeah, it, it, when when the when the. Uh, when it go to commercial at home, they would show commercials in the arena and it was just commercials for the WD network and the movies. And, you know, it's, I mean, they're one of the biggest entertainment companies in, in the, in town now. You know what I mean? It's not a, Oh man. Yeah. The, the fights are just I mean, that, a, a side note nowadays. I mean, it's really, you know, they don't do blood anymore. I mean, it's, they still, you know, there's still some storylines, but not like in the nineties where, you know, uh, the Undertaker's kidnapping Stephanie and marrying her and joining right. the cult. I mean, nothing like that. Um, we, I, I remember I used to, I feel like there was probably like six or seven years there um, where I think every single birthday I had from like the time I was like six until like 11, my my birthday party was we're going to a live wrestling show. Like wrestling was huge. Like there were so many little local wrestling promotions mm-hmm. in Metro Detroit. And so, you know, we would go to these shows all the time. And, you know, I didn't even really understand as a little kid. But, like, now looking back, like, these dudes, like, we would go to these shows and these guys would straight up jump off of 20, 25, 30-foot barriers so that they could make 25 bucks that night. Like, these dudes were so into it. I'll never never forget. We were were at this one show in – we were at one show in River Rouge, Michigan where the ring didn't show up. So they rolled out all the wrestling mats and we're going to have the wrestling on like high school wrestling mats. And then the state ended up saying it was they couldn't do it and they broke it up. And we were at one show in Lincoln Park. I'm, I'm dropping all these like cities where where I grew up. But one time we were in Lincoln Park, Michigan, and a wrestler named Too Cool Scorpio was wrestling Sabu. And they, uh, they, 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 
Yeah, you guys remember Sabu from like ECW yeah. and, and he did a they did a um uh a suplex off of the top rope and the ring snapped in half. Like it was insane. And oh my and then we had one time this guy was this was in, like they were doing like a thumbtack match. And these dudes are just getting absolutely just they are beating the crap out of each other for, you know, for pennies, right? And they're beating, they're just, it's hard. I think it was in E-Course, Michigan, and they're just beating each other up, beating each other up, beating each other up. And then all of a sudden, this guy that's just getting, like, he's just, they're kicking the crap out of this dude. Like, real blood. It's insane. All of a sudden, the dude's mom comes out of the audience and starts hitting the other wrestlers with the with her cane. She's like old. She's like, you know, 75, 80. And she's screaming, like, stop hurting them. Stop. And and, oh, and they had to, like, turn around. And, like, all the wrestlers kind of stopped. And they were like, you know, miss, blah, blah, blah. It's okay. And he turned around. He's like, mom, I'm fine. <laughs> it was crazy. Because these were all just local guys. They were all local dudes from southwest uh-huh. Detroit, you know, that were just, they just loved, they just loved the, the thing. I, I don't know. I think it's just so cool. Like, I think that's what's awesome is I guess the, the whole my whole message tonight is like find people that like to do the stuff you like to do and do the stuff you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like it's that simple sometimes. Uh, and you don't always have to make it about something. Like these guys were just loving. They loved wrestling. For people that love horror, they just do it because they they genuinely love it. And it's how you want to live your life. Just doing cool stuff with cool people that you like. And I don't know what else you really need. Yeah. I don't know what else you really need other than that. And then you know if you if you can find a way to make money from that, that's just like you know, oh, then it's then it's icing. amazing. Yeah. you know, then it's then it's then it's the icing on the cake. Well, and then the problem is not being jaded and being angry at your you know, but yeah. you know, that's a whole different other. I'll I'll take that day. I'll <laughs> yeah. take that day, glad. Well, um, I mean, we could obviously talk about wrestling all day. Um, what one of the, uh, the big things we we're going to talk about is your involvement with Wes Craven. Um, you uh, worked on a production with him and got to know him a little bit. Um, so basically, we just kind of want to go through that. You know, tell us about the project, sure. um, how, how it came about, how you got involved. Um, you know, just kind of start from there. Yeah, no, definitely. I was. Um I was working at a, at a production company called Twenty Five Seven Productions. A uh, great guy named Dave Broom runs it, and uh, he still does. And um, and they got connected with Wes, and, and I don't know how you know if it was a meeting somewhere or if agents connected him or however. But we started kind of coming up with these ideas of like, what would the show be? Uh, we want to do a show with Wes. So what does that look like? And I remember, um, you know, I sat in a room with another guy. Um, you know, we were, we were working in development at the time. I, my title was development producer. I was working with another guy who was the uh, manager of development and we're working in, and I even remember we're, we're out to lunch one day and we're like brainstorming ideas of like, okay, a show with what's Craven, what would that show look like? And I remember stopping for a minute and being like, yo, can we just talk about how rad this is? Like that we're, here we are eating lunch in LA. Cause like neither of us are from Los Angeles. And it was like, we're just sitting here eating lunch in Los Angeles, talking about how to develop a show for Wes Craven. Like, this is insane. You know, it was just such a cool moment. And we had all these crazy ideas of like, you know, what if we had a house that people, that it morphed and then people had to learn how to escape 
from the house and and and, or they, and as soon as they fixed one thing another thing would break and there was a go and we'd come up with these crazy you know almost like i wanted to do legends of the hidden temple but with west craven <laughs> in a horror film you know uh, or a horror house you know and and so we but we ended up landing on this idea of these these horror film directors and, and what if they were competing against each other to kind of um you know to they would get different topics and they'd create these shows and uh, or these movies, and so it just kind of started as that. Like we started working on it, and we we found people to work on it. Like uh, the directors we did a casting call for a lot of directors, and some um, a lot of amazing people came through, and and we ended up picking a handful, and um, and then we started shooting. And I'll tell you what, you know, Wes was it was such an incredible dude. Like just. He cared so much. Like he cared so much about the genre, <clears throat> and he cared so much about helping. You know, like a lot of the filmmakers, like everyone was in their early twenties for the most part. Like there were a couple of people who were a little bit older, but everyone was really like just passionate about horror. And and Wes just like he never was concerned about like needing to leave or what time do I need to be there. But like he, all he wanted to do was be around people and be be around people that were passionate about the the art. And he was so willing to to help at every moment. I remember him telling like a story of, um, you know, like I think it was Scream One. You know, they they were getting ready to shoot. They were like two or three days away from filming with uh, at the high school to shoot Scream One or the original Scream, yeah. And and like somebody from the school board finally picked up the script and read it like they had approved it signed the paperwork and no one had read the script and like three days before they were getting ready to film like this guy from the school board or the high school reads the script and he's like no way no way is this happening at our school and and they had to find a new location like just days before and it's like and he used it as such a coaching moment of you know there's another time where uh one of the director's was she was saying, you know, she was complaining. She's like, you know what? Like, cause there were, you know, there were some difficult personalities. Uh, I'm not going to name names, James Cullen Brussig. And, um, <laughs> you know, people were arguing and they're, you know, they're getting into it and they're fighting over some, you know, certain who's going to have what job responsibilities. And, and I remember her, one, one of the girls, uh, her name, I think Ashley Marie, she's, a, she's an awesome director. Um, but she was kind of in this thing. I'm like, you know what? Like, this isn't like, this is crazy. Like, this isn't going the way that we had planned it. He's mixing everything up. He's changing. Everything. And Wes was like, whoa, 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 wait, who told you, who told you this was going to go the way you thought it would? Like, this is making movies. Like, if nothing happens the way you thought it was going to there, you know, and then it was, and he would just have these moments where he would, and it was never, he was never a jerk. He was never rude. It was always out of a place of genuine care and of wanting to teach people and educate them. Um, you know, he talked about how he's like, you know, I think he said like, like he went bankrupt like two or three times, you know, like in his career, like trying to make a project. And I think that's the one thing, right? A lot of times people just assume you get one hit and then you're a hit forever. Then people are just handing you scripts, you know, or, or then you can make any movie you want. I mean, like even Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, I think I read a story where Ryan Reynolds tried making Deadpool for like seven years. Seven years he was trying to get that thing made. I mean, a, a simpler example is like Super Troopers Two is coming out soon, and like the the guys from you know the Broken Lizard guys, like they had to raise like two million dollars on their own 
to make the movie. Well, like, yeah, so it's like, I think there, I think there's this idea, especially in indie film where it's like, oh man, like uh, once I, you know, maybe once I make it big and then everything will be set. It's like, you're never set. You're always, right. you know, like there's always doors. There's constantly doors being shut on you mm-hmm. at every, and that's not, that's not just entertainment. That's everything. Like there's always resistance. The resistance is real and it will find you. And it's like, can you push back? Can you keep going? And that's really where it's all at. And like Wes was such a, was such an amazing, um, you know, person to talk on that because he just, he did, you know, he had all of these amazing products. I mean, he's iconic. I mean, like you can't, you know, like he's, he was so amazing. I don't know. Like it was, I, James and I were, we were talking about it the other day, just like how lucky we feel that we had the opportunity to meet the guy, you know? And he was so, and he, you know, just obviously like the you know, last couple of years of his life. And, um, he was just such a good dude. And, and I'll never, I'll never forget him. You know, my biggest regret is that I took one photo with him and I thought that I, I was growing a beard at the time. And I thought it was a good idea and a good look for me. It wasn't. And so I always feel bad. I always look back on this photo, the one photo I have of me and Wes, and I look like a complete moron. But, you know, it, it's still, I'll send it to you guys. But, um, but I mean, you know, it was, it was awesome. I mean, he was, he really was like just such a, a, a caring guy who who really loved he just loved the genre and you know i remember oh this was the one thing that i remember picking up from him that i thought was so good about horror is he was like you always need to be like as the writer as the director he's like you always need to be smarter than the audience you need to be smarter than the smartest person in the audience because if you lose them it's over and it was like, that's true. if you lose the smartest person in the room, it, and that's why you see, I mean, that's why every movie these days, there has like somebody's cell phone goes off, right? You have to be in an area where there's no, there's no cell service because there's so shit. I mean, you look back to movies from the eighties, like every problem could be solved with an iPhone. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So now like you, you know, you got to be more creative as a horror film director to kind of say like, well, wait, like, like really you have to integrate or interrogate your story. Like what, like, why is he running out? The, why is she running back up the stairs instead of out the door? Which could do that? Like, why is, you know, and you have to be able to explain those things because the second that that thought goes through the audience member's head, mm-hmm. he lost them because now they're no longer in the moment. They're no longer in that real fear in that real moment where they're there. Now they're thinking like, Oh, I wonder why, I wonder why she did that when she could have did this. Oh, I guess I, now I see why they said that. And that's not where we want people to be. We don't want them analyzing the script structure or, you know, like we just want them to be lost in the world. And it's like that. I'll always remember that. Him saying that was like, you've got to be smarter than the smartest person in the room. Cause if you're not, you lost it. Man, I love that. Yeah. It's such good advice. Yeah, yeah. With, with him being a you know a teacher before he got into filming, that's that's a really good advice. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for uh, sure. This is fun, guys. I really appreciate you guys letting me come on and like egotistically yeah. like take over the show. I guess I talk <laughs> way too Thank much. You. So okay. you know, I talk, talk way too much. So my apologies for that. Oh, it's a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah exactly. we just talk and hang out. You're all good. <laughs>
I know. I hope you're in sweatpants like I am. <laughs> <laughs> Very comfy. <laughs> um, so piggybacking off that, um, what like so? What was the project specifically? Like the name of it? You know, was there a network involved? Um, it, I think you told me in one of the emails it ultimately did not make the air. Um, you know, can you kind of give us maybe a behind the scenes of what happened with that? Was it a budget reason? Was it just you know? didn't fit the schedule at the time, like anything like that. Um, yeah, I think, I, I, I think they ended up making everything went public. Uh, so I don't think that I'm like breaking any, any, I'm just trying not to get in trouble. I don't think I'm breaking any rules by saying what it is, but, um, no, cause I, it was, I think they made announcements and it was going to be for AMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really, it was going to be a fun project for AMC. And I think it was going to be connected somehow to the walking dead with, you know, the directors having an opportunity to, to maybe, you know, these are, these are all things, I mean, it was in development, so it's not like anything was set in stone yet. Um, but you know, I, I, there was a moment when, uh, AMC had kind of decided they didn't want to do any, uh, there was going to be no longer any like reality style format shows on their, on the network. It was going to go all back to, to movie classics. Yeah. And, um, and it was a bummer, you know, I think it was a real bummer because I think so many of us, you know, we, we had such high hopes for it. And I think it was, and it was such, it was so cool. Like it really was like Wes is just, he was amazing. And the people that were involved were amazing and it was a great show. Um, and I think, you know, it, it was just one of those things that's, you know, a lot of times that happens, like just timing, the industry isn't ready for the project. You know, I think that happens sometimes. Like, it's just, you know, bad timing. Um, you know, it, and that was really all that it was. Like, I, I, I wish it was a more exciting story or something happened, but, you know, that's what it was. It really was something where they just kind of made the decision that they didn't want to, um, that that style of programming wasn't necessarily where they were at. They kind of wanted to move away from reality. And so it ended up, ended up not, not coming to, uh, you know, ever being aired or whatnot. But, you know, the one thing I'll say that's really cool is, um, there's, I mean, I'm still in contact with all, I think there were nine contestants, um, that started and I'm in contact with all nine of them still. And they're still, they're out there hustling and grinding and making films, you know, like it was, um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, it's, it is that moment where like people will, they think that like, like we talked earlier, like that one moment's going to come. And it was like, Oh, this is my break. Like, this is, I got to make this happen. This is my break. It's like, it's not your only one shot. You know, things happen all the time where, you know, you think it's going to be your moment. You think this was it. And then if it fails, like, all right, cool. It wasn't your, your, you know, if you still believe in it, just keep going, you know, like don't, you know, don't, don't stop for it. And, and so that was kind of it. Like, I, I'm happy to see all of these other, these directors that keep, keep pushing forward and keep trying to make new movies and, and try to, uh, you know, just chasing the passion, which I think is rad. Um, I don't know if that kind of answered the story. Like I said, there wasn't really any, anything other than just kind of like the timing of the industry was off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I I thought it was odd. Um, you know, I don't, I don't remember if I, how I heard about AMC, you know, kind of going away from the reality stuff. But I mean, from an industry standpoint, generally reality shows are cheaper, right. Than you know, an average episode of walking dead, for example. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, reality was—it's definitely. I mean, that was like the big—that's the big draw of it for a while. Was it was you know it just very—it was more inexpensive to make. Mm-hmm. Um, people were—it uh, was new. I think that was another awesome thing about you know reality was it, it was a new way of telling story, um, and 
Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was a new thing. And it also, you know, like I said, I mean, when I came out to LA in 09, we were right in the middle of the writer's strike. Mm -hmm. So when the writer's strike went down, it was like, all right, well, what do we do? We still, you know, we still have, you know, the internet, you know, digital wasn't really thriving the way it is now. So it was still that idea of, you know, a network still needed to cover, it still needed to have 24 hours of, of footage a day. You know, it's not like now where like, you know, whether or not if you have a YouTube channel, you know, if you've got six videos or a hundred videos, like people are still going to watch it whenever. Like you don't have to cover time. You're, there's no dead air to cover. Right. But for television, yeah. like, yeah, there's that's real. Like dead air is a real thing. So that's why, mm. you know, you need to have you can't just say, all right, hey, we're not going to air anything at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. Like you need to have content. And um, so, I mean, oh, hey, baby. Hey, <laughs> that's my cat. That's my cat. That's my cat. She shows up in awesome. pretty much every podcast. Special awesome. guest. I love it. Yeah, she's like, hey, who's this guy? This guy's talking. Yeah, when you want to get out of this? But yeah, I think you know, reality is definitely a. Um, in in you know, reality is, I love it. Like I really do. Like I'm not a writer, so for me, like I still get to be, I get to be creative, and I get to you know tell stories and. And I absolutely love it. Like we're, we're crafting story as, as things are going and you're, you're seeing what's happening and then you're, you're moving and you're following it. And, you know, it, I love it. You know, I absolutely love, love the genre, uh, which is why I've stayed in it, you know, and um, yeah, I don't know what else what I was going with. I got, I got really confused with, or I got thrown off by the cat, Matt. I was really excited. About that. <laughs> she does that. She's very, dis- that. she's very disarming. Yeah. yeah. She's, she she's also very, she evidently she's very hates, cute and rude. Yeah, yeah, she hates every human except Kayla, evidently. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was um, I thought it was interesting what you were saying. Um, I've I've kind of caught up on Adam Carolla recently just because you know he's doing a lot of podcasts and we're obviously doing podcasts. But you know what you're talking about with opportunities and stuff. You know, it, it's it's what you said, I mean, you can just keep working, you know, like if, you know, you're on the show, doesn't pan out, then just keep working and you're in contact with all the contestants and they're still doing stuff. Well, with him, it's, you know, he's also just created new opportunities too. I mean, he was on radio and then he moved to Loveline and then that moved to a TV show of Loveline mm-hmm. and then he went to the man show and then, um, they split up and Jimmy Kimmel did his show and then he went to a radio show and had this lush contract and then, about the time of the writer's strike, like, 08, like, everyone got canned. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, he's like, now what? And that following Monday, he just, you know, he went to, uh, you know, probably Guitar Center and just bought gear. And Monday, they just started a podcast. And they just, you know, he said he probably lost money for the first, you know, 18 months. Because at that point, bandwidth was just out of this world. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, but now he does, like... Monday through Friday, he does every he does a podcast every day, and then I think there's some days where he does two podcasts a day, and um, he's got books out now, and he's the most downloaded podcast in history. Um, he's routinely wow. in the top five, and I think he's making more money than he's ever seen in his whole life. You know, so um, yeah. So I think it's kind of like what you're saying too, but like you can you can always like create your own opportunity too. You know, like if I, I think that that's what it is. It's like you just. 
you learn, and it takes time. Like, you know, I didn't know, I wasn't raised with a lot of this stuff that like I know now or whatnot. Like I read a lot and I try to study and learn from people that have done a lot of great things in the past. And, you know, but one of the things that I've tried to really learn is like you, you, you start to try to, instead of, instead, you know, a lot of people see problems, you know, a lot of people see, you know, the issues or what's going wrong or why it isn't working or blah, 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 blah. And a lot of these, it's always a lot of negative things about why it's not working out for me and what did I do wrong? Or, well, you know, there's a lot of this moment that like, you know, sometimes you just got to accept, you know, like I have a mission statement and in that mission statement, one of the lines is in acceptance of struggle, hardship and failure. And I've just accepted that for my life, that I'm going to have hardship, I'm going to have struggle, I'm going to have failure. So when it comes, like, I'm not that rocked by it because I already knew that it was going to come. And it's like, so you just kind of get in this mindset of how do you look at every situation and how do you, like, force yourself to find an opportunity and a possibility and then look at, like, what resources are at your disposal? Like, what do you have right now? So it's like in any moment – you know, regardless of what's going on, there's always an opportunity. There's always a possibility. There's always something good that can come of it. But you got to be willing. And I think that's the key. You got to be willing to, like, put your ego aside and say, all right, like, all right, it went wrong. Cool. Like, how do I move forward? Like, what's the next thing? Like, where, there's got to be an opportunity here, you know, and and just putting yourself in a spot where you're always prepared. You know, I, Les Brown you know, as a motivational speaker who I loved and he had this quote and it's like, you know, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, it's so, and it seems so simple, right? Like, you know, put it on the back of a t-shirt or something, but it's so, it's so true. Like there's these moments where it's like, you just make a choice. You know, Will Smith says that, like, just make the choice of who you want to be and what you want to do. And and it seems so when you when it doesn't click, it seems so cliche. You're like, oh, cool, easy for you to say, blah blah. blah. But when you really start to adopt or, or you know grab a lot of this stuff, and it's like, all right, cool, like yeah, you lost this job, the show got canceled. All right, cool. What what else is going on? Who else can I get in contact with? You know what what can I you know what can I do? What I'll tell you guys this story. This was kind of cool. Um, I had I was in between shows, and. A buddy of mine had opened a production company down the road, and so I went. I stopped by his production office just to check it out because it was a new office and it was close to my house. So I, I go in, and he's like, uh, you know, great office, beautiful office here in Los Angeles, and I'm checking it all out. And um, and he made a joke about, you know, like, oh man, we we just got this new office, we got all this office space, and we don't have enough people to fill it. And I go, well, dude, I'll come here and I'll work. And he like joking around. And I was like, I need. I was like, I'm in between gigs. Like, I need a sh- like, I need a place to work. Like, if I'm at home, I'm messing around on the guitar or on the phone, or I can't, you know, I can't always get as motivated if I'm in my apartment. So I was like, let me. Is it cool? Can I roll through here and just like be in the environment? And he was like, yeah, I don't care. So I started going to work. I started going to work every day. Without making a paycheck, I started showing up. Like you hear these stories, and it, but like I really did it. Like I would show up on Monday at 10 a.m. and I'd leave at like 6:30, and I did that for a couple of days. And one day I'm sitting in there, and they knock on my office door. That I'm leaving. They're like, "Hey, can we come in and talk real quick?" I'm like you guys could throw me out of here if you wanted to. Like I can't. Where you're like I'm just a guy. I'm like squatting in your in your office building. And they walked in, and they're like, "Hey, you know, we got this." Uh, we got this opportunity, like, would you want to start on Monday? 
And this was a Friday. Like <laughs> it was a job that it never got. It was a job that never got posted anywhere. You know, because it was just like they need it. It was a need that came out of nowhere, and they were like, "Yo, who could do this?" They're like, "Yo, well, Phil is down the hall. Phil's down the hall here, working for free, stealing company coffee when he's not earning big against any money." You know, and it was like sometimes that's just you know, like not to brag, but like that's the way you got to be sometimes. Like, be willing to work whether or not you're getting a paycheck for it, and then the money will find you if you're passionate about it. So, yeah, yeah. This um, the creaky door. Yeah, that was my chair. <laughs> it's funny. I have this. I have this we ch- add that in there. Yeah. Um, I have this chair in my office, and it's like I got. I had a leather chair, and I got rid of it just because sitting here just makes me hot. I just was drenched. This is like a. Dude, I'm chair. sweating right now. Yeah, I'm sweating. I don't know what happened. We're all sweating. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's awesome because like supposed the, to. The arms kick up, so like I can talking. You were talking about guitar. I play guitar too, so like I can kick up my arms and I have room to play guitar. But it is so squeaky, and I'm like, Ugh. so like I think I might have to go back to a leather one just because this one is so annoying. So it's so funny, unrelated. Um, but this, I think this actually kind of um, is a good one to ask you. Uh, we we interviewed Lynette Quigley, and um, you know, scream legend, of course, and. Um, she was talking about um, people that are kind of like um, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, I guess, kind of a deal. Um, mm-hmm. Where um, you know you have people that can you know act and get behind the camera and produce and write and do all that kind of stuff. Um, would you uh, would you recommend someone learn multiple things like that, or would you would you encourage people to do like just you know, become the next Spielberg and just do that. Like, what would you uh, encourage people from that approach? I'll tell you what, it, that is such, that is such a amazing and such a difficult question to, to, <laughs> to answer because it's, you know, when, and, and I'll admit when I moved to LA, I had some, a lot of people that told me that like, yo, pick your path. You want to be a, you want to be a camera guy? Be a camera guy. Let people know you want to be a camera guy. Don't do anything that's not be you being a camera guy. You know, and I think there's certain power in that in 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 choosing your path and letting people know, yo, this is what I really want to do. Um, but I had a little bit of a flip side. You know, I'm from Metro Detroit. I grew up you know, kind of Detroit for a long time was like an example of what can go wrong when you put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you put all your eggs in one basket with the auto industry. And when that goes, and if you're not diversified and you don't have other skills, it was really hard for a lot of people to, to continue on with their careers, you know, and they, and it was really difficult. So I think I had a little bit of that where I was like, there was that of the like, yo, I don't want to be all in on one thing. And then there was also the fact of like, I have a, I'm a, you know, I don't know if you guys can tell, I'm a high energy guy. Like, I like, I like being into a lot of stuff. And sure, maybe if I, you know, who knows where I could be if I had put all of this into one thing. But I also could hate where I'm at. I also could be like extremely unhappy because I'm only doing one, one style of thing. Um, so for me, it was really important for me to learn how to shoot. You know, I, I camera opt. And then, you know, I, I started producing, I started shooting, I worked in casting, 
I started learning how to edit and I was a story producer. Uh, I worked in development and it was like so many of these things like they, when I started shooting, it made me a better producer. When I started casting, it made me that much better at interviews. When I started doing, you know, when I started doing development, I understood uh, what it took to make a show or, or I understood what it was like to, to have a, to create something with the end user in mind with who's going to be the, you know, like, so I learned a lot from all of these things. So, you know, I, they, they were at least all still in the same arena, right? Like they were still all in entertainment, even, you know, DJing, like I've, you know, DJed and I'll still do it. And it's not exactly on point, but like that gives me a fun outlet. Like I enjoy doing that. And I think that's what it comes down to is it, you need to, you have to be cautious not to become addicted to the distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes there's there's that. It's like, you know, I think it's when you are going along. We've talked so much about resistance tonight. But when you're going along that path and you're like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And then it gets hard and you go, oh, okay, well, I guess I, I can go do this other thing right now. Um, like that's not the way to be. Like if you're not, if you're not putting yourself in places that you're uncomfortable – if you are a perfectionist who the second that you're not perfect at something, you decide you don't want to do it, like that's not going to – like you've got to be able to go through some tough times and to go through some things and really push yourself to get better. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be great. And I think a lot of times what happens are people that are – you know, you're, if you're an overachiever, an A student, or you're really good in one thing or, oh, you, you started getting accolades for being good at something – you like that, and then you assume that if you're bad at something else, it means it's not for you. But it's like if you love it, if you really are passionate about it, like then take the time to get good, you know, really fight through it. So, it, you know, I think it's it's a really difficult thing because I do think that there's something to be said about sticking something out and not not being so all over the place that you have an inability to see things through. You don't want to be so scatterbrained that you're just, you know, you're, you know, what they call, you know, they, they say like, if you're going to dig a hole, like if you're going to dig for water, like if you're going to dig a well, you dig one well, a hundred feet deep. You don't, you don't build a hundred one foot holes, you know, like you gotta, you've got to pick certain things and go deep on them. Um, but I love the variety as well. Like I, you know, and now here's the thing, someone might hear me and, you know, like I, you know, I don't have a million dollar mansion in the Hollywood Hills. And if that's what somebody is, is using as their barometer for success, then, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt, you know, maybe I have no clue what I'm talking about and then don't listen to me because I don't have these, you know, I don't have an Emmy, you know, an Emmy award, or I don't have, you know, some, some other award. Um, but what I'll say is like, I'm happy as hell and I love my career and it's awesome. And like, to me, that's how I judge my success is like how, how much I enjoy what I'm doing. And for me, part of me enjoying what I'm doing is the variety, but it's also going a hundred percent when you do choose something, when you do say, Hey, I do want to learn camera. Don't learn it half ass, learn it, like really get into it really give it a fighting chance to see like, is this my path? And if it's not, that's fine. You know, but you got to give things that fighting chance. You really got to go for it. You got to, you got to fight. You got to get to that first 25 pages. And then when you get writer's block, that's not when you quit. That's when you say, I need to finish this no matter what you can quit 
after the, after you've written the book. I I learned a great lesson. My dad did this to me once. I remember being a little kid playing high, or playing little league football, and I wanted to quit football one year. You know, I was being you know I was like, oh, I don't want to play anymore. And he was he's like he's like that's fine. He goes, Philip, if you don't want to play football anymore, that's fine. But you made a commitment to this team, and you're going to finish the season. If you don't want to play next year, you don't have to play. You never have to play another season again. But you made a commitment to this. You're going to finish this. And that was such an amazing lesson for me because it is that. When you make a decision, you got to see it through because there's going to be plenty of opportunities to quit and go half-ass something else. But you got to be willing and you got to be able to see things through. Um, I don't know. I guess that's, that's it's a tough question. That's the best I can do at answering it. I hope that helps. No, I mean, that's that's pretty much right on. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Well, man, um, I mean, it sounds like we could keep going for a long time, but <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's getting late. Well, in and, the we, and, we and we can always come back and do a round two. Who, yeah. who knows what kind of, what kind of yeah. crazy stories I'll get into, but yeah. you know, I just want to, first thing I just want to say is just thank you guys so much for, for allowing me to, to come on and, and, and talk horror with you guys and, and share a little bit of my kind of story and, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a great time talking with you guys, and, and I hope everyone at home, if you guys are still listening, I hope that it was enjoyable for you. And uh, well, it must have been, or else you went to set through, you know, over an hour of it. So, uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much. If you guys want to get connected with me um, on all the social media platforms, it's at Philip Andrew LA. Uh, you can always email me Philip Andrew LA at gmail dot com. I'll answer it, and uh, I'm not that cool yet to where I can't answer my own emails. And um, yeah, just thank you guys so much for for. Thank you for ma- making a decision and wanting to do this and then actually doing it because there's tons and tons and tons of people that wanted to start things. They wanted to start a podcast and they, it started over a beer and then they never saw it through. So thank you guys for just, you know, taking your passion and continuing on with it and sticking with it and, uh, you know, and allowing, you know, me a platform to come and speak and, and allowing your listeners to have a place to come and just hang out with other horror lovers. So thank you guys, man. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, thank we, you. We get, yeah, uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. If we yeah. get James on the show, I'll, I'll see if he can give me any dirt on you. He never answered on Twitter. So. <laughs> <laughs> All the James is on dirt. J- yeah. James is the dirty one. Man. Yeah. He is the dirty one. <laughs> nice. uh, well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys have a great night. And, um, all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks, Philip. Yeah, Philip. Thank you, Philip. Bye, guys.